decent quality snatch strap is a mighty handy bit of kit to have in the behind the seat of a ute. Uh, who agrees? Yeah, a few hands go up. Yep. A snatch strap, for those who don't know, it, it's, um, it's, something, it's a strap which is made out of something that looks like seatbelt webbing, but it's got a bit of stretch built into it, and it's a big, solid thing, and it's used for pulling vehicles or machinery out of the bog. And it's built so that the tow vehicle can get a little bit of a run-up. You don't have to just ease it. You can sort of get a bit, get a bit going. And it uses that extra forces of the momentum to get the bog vehicle moving. So the tow vehicle gets moving. It hits the end of the strap and it stretches. It absorbs the shock. And provided the bog vehicle isn't sort of up over the windscreen, um, then often, well, usually, you, you tend to be able to get the thing moving. But, of course, once the vehicle gets moving, well, it sort of has a bit of a surge of forwards because it's, it's got to do a bit of catching up to, to take the stretch back out of it. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? <laughs> Today's message is catching up with the activity of God. You know, sometimes our faith, sometimes the church, sometimes our religious beliefs get us all bogged down. But there's one thing for sure. Even when we bog down and grind to a halt, God's still going. Uh, the activity of God is still happening around us and when God does his work, Quite often we've got some catching up to do because believe it or not, God doesn't have to wait around on us. God starts doing his thing and then we re- when we realise what God is doing, sometimes we have to catch up with God. Last week's message was on the value of a testimony. And something that we found is we tend to think of our testimony as, as us just telling our story of how we first became a Christian. Our story of how we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, that is a testimony. But perhaps equally important is for us to share our ongoing testimony as we recount, as we tell other people about the amazing experiences of how we've seen God at work. Answers to prayer, the way that God's given us direction in our lives, the way that Bible verses have just spoken to us, just the right message at the right time. Um, Experiences that we've had of the Holy Spirit, the way other Christians have been able to do things uh, for you or with you that's helped you to grasp things about God. Testimony, even a testimony of persecution and having an unshakable faith in the midst of that persecution is powerful. And there's a really good example of testimony in the Bible reading that we just had. Um, For those who were here on Easter Sunday, uh, most of what you just read won't be new. Because on Easter Sunday we read Acts chapter 10. And Acts chapter 10 is about when the Apostle Peter went to visit the Gentile Cornelius. And so that's when it actually happened, was in Acts chapter 10. And then in Acts chapter 11 is where he's giving the testimony about what happened. Now, so Peter went to visit this Gentile Cornelius, and that just was not the done thing. I mean, Peter was a Jew, and Cornelius was a Gentile. And a Jew, well, they, they were always taught right from a very young age, you, you can't go into the home of a Gentile. They're, they're, they're unclean and that'll make you unclean. Um, so he'd been taught not to do that. But God did an amazing work to turn Peter around and get him to do exactly that. But then after God had done his thing, Peter then leaves Cornelius' place and he heads off to Jerusalem. He heads off to head office 
And there, those who are known as the circumcision party get up him and they're criticising him. You, you, you went to those uncircumcised people and you ate with them. Oh, goodness. Peter was in a lot of trouble. I mean, what, what do you do with that? I mean, Peter, he didn't want to go there. Uh, he, said, look, he said when God first appeared to him, he said, look, I'm not supposed to associate with the unclean. But Peter had to catch up with what God was doing. And what was God doing? God was, was trying to get Peter to go and visit these Gentiles. Why? Because God was drawing the Gentiles into his fold. And so God gets out his giant spiritual snatch trap and he gives Peter this great big yank. Come on, Peter, you're going to do this. Peter had to catch up with what God was doing. He was bogged down in his traditions. He was bogged down in his religious beliefs. But God was going to bring the Gentiles into his fold. And so God had to catch him up. And now... It's happened and he goes to head office and the circumcision party, they were the ones who were lagging behind and they had some catching up to do. And to help them catch up, Peter shared his testimony. Now, often what God does to bring you closer to him, what God does to bring you along in your spiritual life, if you can then share that with somebody else, that can be something that helps them to draw closer to God. It can be something that helps them to, to continue on in their spiritual life. And that's what Peter did. So, what was Peter's testimony? Well, these are the things that he told them happened. God had given him a vision. Actually, it was a vision that was replayed three times. And God spoke to him in that vision. Uh, so what God has called clean, do not call common or, or unclean. And, and then a coincidence that is beyond a coincidence happened. It, it's what I call a God incidence. At that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which they were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And so he went. You know, my experience has been when God is trying to get us to move and trying to get us to change our position or, or, or get us to follow him in some way, um, things that, that we would sometimes put down coincidence happen. But they're not a coincidence at all. It's a God incidence. And so all of a sudden, if you see these coincidences starting to happen and think, oh, I wonder what's going on We're here. Well, it might be actually time to pray and say, well, Lord, what are you showing me? What are you saying to me? Lord, show me what you're doing. Does this coincidence mean anything or is it actually you doing something and not a coincidence at all? And so Peter went. He didn't go on his own. He went with other witnesses. Now, and once he got there, this is where we get some more confirmation because while God was working on Peter or even before this started happening to Peter, an angel had already appeared to Cornelius and told him to go and find Peter in such and such a place. Um, and that's why those blokes had turned up there in the first place. Now, that's just more and more confirmation. God working in different people's lives, all for the same purpose. And then when Peter began to preach the gospel to them, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles just as he did upon the first disciples back in Acts chapter 2. Wow! God had done all of this. 
And this was a fast moving happening. There was no time for Peter to go, oh well, I've just had this vision, I've just had this thing and this is, I think it might have to take 40 days of prayer and fasting to work out what God is doing. No, he didn't have time for that. God was just moving along and moving along. He had no time to try and go out on his personal retreat to try and work out what God was doing. And here's an important lesson. When God speaks, that's the time to obey. When God speaks, when God starts drawing you, when God is doing his thing and he's wanting you to join him in that, that's not a time to take a spiritual retreat and and, um, have a big long think about it for a year or two. It's time to obey. So God had gotten out his big spiritual snap strap, snatch strap, and said, come on Peter, and given him this great big yank, and Peter had been obedient, and now he was seeing the fruit of that obedience, that the Holy Spirit had come upon even the Gentiles. And he was able to testify then to the amazing work that God was doing, that the Lord had taken the gift of Jesus Christ out of the limited domain of just the Jewish people, just Israel, And he'd opened up the way for Christ to be received by the whole world. Now that's no small matter. That is no small matter. He'd taken it out of Jesus as being something which was just for Israel and opened it up for the whole world to come and receive Christ. And this was Peter's testimony. Well, what could the tough guys at head office do with that? Well, they hit the end of the strap and got yanked along as well. It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. Right? They couldn't get up Peter anymore once they heard about what God had been doing. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, so for now, they'd been convinced God is doing this. We'd better catch up. These blokes, by the way, would become an ongoing problem for the church. Um, sometimes you go to somebody... Oh, I remember the first time I ever went to Fraser Island. Uh, there's a bloke in this tiny little Subaru. It was, the, it was the wagon version of a Brumby. Tiny little thing. It was four-wheel drive, but it had clearance of about that much, you know. And um, he, he'd, he'd um, always be getting bogged. He wasn't with us, he was just camping next to us. And um, the road out to, to, down to the beach, once he got onto the wet sand, he was fine. But the road out onto the wet, wet beach had, had like sand tracks about that deep and you can imagine like his bottom would just hit straight away. So what he would do is he would carefully watch until somebody with a land cruiser was about to leave and um, as we were getting into our car, he'd quickly get into his car and get going in front of us. So they'd have somebody to pull him out because it was a lonely sort of camp spot. There wasn't that many cars going. And so, like, he was a constant problem and we'd have to continually hook onto him and pull him out and he'd only go a few metres and he bogged bogged again. So it got that way that we'd end up up just tying onto him when we were about to leave and just drag him the whole way down to the beach and that made things a whole lot easier. But these guys, they were going to, the circumcision party were going to become a constant problem for the church. They were constantly lagging behind the enormity of God's grace. They just couldn't see that God was so gracious that he would call the Gentiles and that they wouldn't have to become Jews first. And you can see this in the writings of Paul as he's constantly having to battle the teachings of 
of these guys, particularly if you read um, Galatians, you'll see um, that he's having to always just preach the grace of God and no, you don't have to become Jews to, to be Christians. But for now, through Peter's testimony, they were caught up. The second story of catching up with God is what happened at the church in Antioch. Now, somebody said to me the other day, what was so bad with Antioch, with Och, that everybody was anti-Och? Um, you've got to be quick to catch up with that one. Today, as always, a lot of faithful Christians dream of revival. Is that right? Does anybody here who dreams of revival, who prays for revival? Um, we pray for revival. We long for the Holy Spirit to, speak, to, to, to sweep through our district so that men and women, boys and girls, would turn their hearts to the Lord. True? Yeah. And it's a very common feeling or thought process, if only we could get the right man for the job. If only a well-known Christian leader would turn up here in this little town, then, then we'd see the church grow. If only a vital, enthusiastic preacher would come to our town instead of those mega churches where they all seem to end, end up, then, then wow, wouldn't our church grow? Have you ever found yourself feeling that? Or am I the only one that has ever gone through that? Yeah? No? You don't have to admit it. Uh, maybe you've gone away to a camp and, and you've, had a, you've heard a brilliant speaker or maybe you've been to a big city church that seems to be really alive and it's really pumping and they've got a church of, you know, with a full-time staff of six or ten or more and then you thought of your little tin pot show where the pastor's a nobody and, and he has to work a real job simply to pay the bills and, and you've compared your experience of church with, with, with a, a, a church where they've got internationally acclaimed preachers and world-class worship bands and, and you've found yourself feeling, if only... If only we had that in our town, then, then everybody would be interested in Jesus. Now, I suspect if we're honest, we mightn't dwell on it, but, but I think we've probably all had these sorts of feelings at some time. If only one of the big names in evangelism, if only one of the, the big names in, in preaching um, would come and live in this town, wow! Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't things turn around then? Wouldn't the church grow? But you know what? It's quite often revival that comes first. It's when ordinary people are excited about their Lord that revival comes. And that's what happened at Antioch. When the Christians started getting persecuted in Jerusalem, they fled. And Acts is very clear in this, they all fled except for the apostles. The apostles stayed right where they were in Jerusalem. I don't know why, but that's what it tells us. It was unnamed preachers, men from Cyprus and Cyrene in this case, who came to town. And they didn't only try and tell the Jews about Jesus, they also started sharing Jesus with the Greek speakers as well. And verse 21 gives us the secret to the church growth. It says they were excellent preachers. No, it doesn't. It says they were excellent worship leaders. No, it doesn't. It says the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
It wasn't famous evangelists who grew the church. It wasn't the big name apostles who grew the church. It was the Lord who grew the church and he did it through ordinary people. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's what happened. And when head office in Jerusalem heard about what God was doing through simple, ordinary men, then head office had some more catching up to do, didn't they? Wow, God's doing stuff. And so that's when they sent the preacher in. And Barnabas turned up where it had, where it had already begun. And when Barnabas saw the grace of God at work, it tells us that he was glad. Now that's a sign of a Christian leader. When, when God goes to work through ordinary men and women and, and, and that church leader wasn't even needed, when that church leader's really glad, that's the sign of a good leader. What Barnabas did was he exhorted them. That's a word we don't use very often these days, exhort or exhortation. Um, a lot of pastors may exhaust their congregations uh, when they yeah, work hard, yep, uh, they tire them out, um, but we're not supposed to exhaust you, we're supposed to exhort you. The name Barnabas means son of Paraclesis, uh, one who encourages or exhorts. And sometimes you may have heard Barnabas referred to as son of encouragement, but a better word is son of exhortation. Uh, because exhortation is more than what we think of as encouraging. I mean, if, if we think of somebody who's an encourager, that's somebody who goes, oh, that was really lovely. That's really nice. Great. That, that, like that's an encouragement, isn't it? You've, you've done very well. That's what, that's what an encourager is. But exhortation, paraclesis, can be much more than that. It's an urging. It's an exhortation. It's, it's what Barna- and I think that's what Barnabas was doing. He urged them. He prodded them on. And he did it because he was a good man, because he was full of the Holy Spirit, and because he was full of faith. That's why he exhorted them. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Let me give you an example of what exhortation might sound like. Never give up on God. Never lose your faith. This is so important to you. You realise that Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Don't put anything else before him. Jesus has given given up so much for us. We must remain faithful to him. There's going to be times of persecution that come and there's going to be times where these people are going to try and get you to deny Christ and they're going to do terrible things to you. They might do terrible things to your family, but never give in to them. Never give up on your faith in Christ. You know that Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me before my Father in Sorry, acknowledges me, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So you stay strong, keep the faith, trust in God, never give up, never waver. That's what exhortation sounds like. A lot of people don't like exhortation because it seems rather pushy, doesn't it? We don't like to be pushed around, do we? Think of an athlete. 
They're in training. And the job of their coach is exhortation. Keep going. Go faster. Go faster. No, that wasn't good enough. Try harder. Go, go, go. This is a bit different sort of exhortation. We're not just trying to try harder. It's trust God more. Trust him. Allow him. It's an urging on. It's more than just a blasé sort of encouragement. So he exhorted them to remain faithful and he exhorted them to a steadfast purpose. Now that's an interesting phrase. If ever you're reading the Bible, like if you're ever really wanting to dig in deep, have a look at a couple of different versions. Um, so in this, in the, the NIV translates it, um, this steadfast purpose, with all their hearts. When they arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. All right, that's how the NIV translates it. The English Standard Version says he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The New Revised Standard Version urges them to, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. Now they're all a bit different, aren't they? With steadfast purpose, with steadfast devotion, with all your heart. Now it sounds similar, but different. The Greek actually says with the cardias prosthesi. And the best I can describe that means is cardias, meaning heart, somebody with a cardiac condition, heart. And prosthesi is a public display or exhibition. So the best I can describe it is that it means a public display from the heart. There's something very public about it. The classical use of prosthesi was the lying in state of the dead. You know what I mean? The open casket. We don't do it much in Australia because it's too hot and people go off too quick. But it's big in other countries. Somebody dies, they put them in a casket and keep it open on public display for people to come and see them come and, so that loved ones can come and pay their respects. And, and so, oh, um, yep. Yes, you're a wonderful person and, and presumably other people turn up while nobody's looking and go, I hate your guts and, 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 and say their last words to them in that way. But it's big in other countries and that's what it's referring to, a pub, putting this body on public display. You know, most people say, oh, my faith's a very private thing. How often have you heard that said? You ever heard somebody say that? Yeah. Well, this is exactly what, what, uh, what this guy was telling, talking against. What Barnabas was saying is don't do that. It's not a very private thing. Don't hide your faith in Jesus Christ. You know that, that old kid song? Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. Sing it if you're not. From the castle of my heart, from the castle of the heart. Right. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. For the king is in residence there. Let it fly in the sky. Let the whole world know. Let the whole world know. Let the whole world know. Let it fly in the sky. Let the whole world know that the king is in residence there. Now, we teach that song to our kids 
and we sing it as kids. And what happens when, when we're adults? The flag gets lowered because we're suddenly respectful. Respectable, not respectful, respectable. But this is what he's talking about. Don't let your faith turn into a private thing. Keep it out there. And what happened? He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord and to be public in their faith. And what happened? A great many people were added to the Lord. That's no surprise, is it? When these people are faithful to Christ and when they're public in their faith, more people were added to Christ. And when the church grew more, there was some more catching up had to be done. They brought in some more big names. Barnabas went and found his mate Paul and he brought him to Antioch and for a whole year they met with the church and they were taught. There was a lot of catching up with God to be done here. There was all of these brand new disciples of Jesus all needing to be taught the teachings of Jesus. And that was the role of Paul and Barnabas. They weren't the great high-powered preachers who, who um, got things started. It was ordinary people who were excited and passionate about Jesus and people who were public in their faith. Um, and these two church leaders, Paul and Barnabas, their role was to teach. Once you become a Christian, it doesn't all end, your journey isn't finished, your journey isn't complete when you give your life to Jesus. That is where it begins a lifelong journey of discipleship and part of that journey, a very important part of that journey is to receive teaching. And this is why I cannot stress enough If you are not in a Bible study where you're studying the Bible and learning more about Christ, I really encourage, I exhort you, I exhort you to get involved in a Bible study group as well, to continue learning about Christ. Just hearing about it on a Sunday morning isn't enough. We need more. And other people may need your input. Now, At this point we come to what can seem like a very, by the way, sort of a sentence. It says, in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. That's a very common word for us now, the word Christians. But this was the first time that, that people had ever been named as Christians. And I've got to say, is it any wonder? We've got all these people... Uh, from their heart, they're publicly letting people know we follow Jesus Christ. And they became known as Christianus, Christians. Now, I wonder if we didn't call ourselves Christians, if that word hadn't yet been invented, would the people around us come up with that word themselves to, to describe us? Because there's those people there, we don't really know what they are, but they're always talking about this Jesus Christ fellow. Wherever they go, they're talking about this Christ. I wonder, if the word Christian hadn't been invented, would the people of this district invent that word to describe us? Are we those people who are out there sharing the name of Christ so publicly that they'd have to come up with it? I wonder. The passage ends 
with God again leading the way. And this time the disciples have a chance to get in on the lead foot uh, because of the gift of prophecy. A prophet by the name of Agabus comes to them and he told them about a famine that was on its way. And so this church being concerned for their brothers and sisters in Christ in faith gave generously to those who were not yet starving but soon would be. Um, And we're told that that famine actually happened then in the time of Claudius. So, let's come back to our time. Catching up with the activity of God. My prayer is that when God speaks, when God gives us a direction, when God is doing his work around us, my prayer is that we would see this, that we would hear him speaking, that we would see the activity of God and that we'd be willing to catch on to it straight away. I pray that when God does his work that we'd be ready to catch on and not get stuck down in a rut but be ready to move with him. Because it's really exciting to join in with what God is doing. And you see, we don't have to be the instigators of what God is doing. Um, I see Steve Butler here. Welcome, Steve. And these guys at Care Outreach, they're, they're out visiting folk in the name of Christ. And there's times when people like Steve will probably say to us, hey, we've had this experience out here, and, but we're actually not going to be around here any longer. Um, let me tell you about what God is doing. And then it's up to the Christians who are local, people like us, to go, wow, that is something God's doing. Hmm, that's interesting. Is that, is that why we find out about what God is doing? No. When we find out what God is doing and we can see a need, that's like God getting the big snatch strap out, come with me. This is a way for you to testify to my goodness and to help build my kingdom. We don't have to be instigators. It's God who instigates. We watch to see what God is doing and we be faithful to him and publicly faithful.